I'm glad to see you here today in this uh, Christmas Sabbath. I guess we could call it Christmas Eve Eve. I don't know. Uh, I'm glad to see you here today because today is the coldest Sabbath of the year. And I uh, want to congratulate each one of you because you decided to get up and defeat the inclement and harsh Southern California weather. <laughs> thank you for being here today. Uh, and uh, as we said, and Abby, thank you for reminding us that all this celebration of this season, Christmas, and all the lights and trees and, and gifts and colors mean nothing if Jesus is not born in our hearts today. And that is why we are here. And that is why we are in the, in the, in the second part of this series that we called Gift of Love. And uh, to dive into the message this morning, I'd like to ask you to, to come with me and, and pray. To receive the wisdom that we need for this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so glad that we are allowed to be here today celebrating the birth of the Savior. And Father, as we do it, and as we open your word... Lord, give us the wisdom, that, the wisdom that we need today to understand it. Soften our minds, soften our hearts. Make us ready to experience Jesus in our lives. In His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. A few uh, weeks ago, I read a story of this man who, uh, you notice that in December, in this kind of uh, days, in the, the middle of these holidays, traffic gets crazy. You get out of work in the afternoon, you try to get on the freeway on the streets, and it seems like everybody's out on the street. So this man is driving patiently, waiting for the light to turn green. And, and as he goes through the intersection, it was one of those intersections where there, there are cameras and, and lights. You've seen those? And as he goes through the intersection, he, he feels, he senses, he, he observes that the flashes go off. So now this man is thinking, ah. I wasn't going fast. The light was green. I didn't do anything wrong. And to make sure that what he had done was correct and, uh, and, and law-abiding behavior, he went back into the intersection and tried to drive through it again. So he went again, and this time he was driving even slower. And as he goes through the middle of the intersection, the light goes off again. This man goes, this is crazy. I'm not doing anything wrong. We all say that, right? So he said, I'm going to go through it again. And he did. Went through the intersection, even slower this time. And he makes sure that he was on green. And, and as he goes through the intersection, right in the middle, the light goes. Now this man is upset. A few days later, he comes back home from work. Opens his mailbox. And there he finds a letter. It wasn't a Christmas card. It was a letter from the court. And in it, there were three pictures. Three pictures of him in his, of his in his car. But the pictures had him sitting in his car without his seatbelt. <laughs> oftentimes. 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 We don't understand why things happen. We don't understand who makes things happen. In fact, oftentimes we go through life without understanding or knowing what even happened. Little misunderstandings, not, not knowing why things occur in our lives lead us to, to a lot of unhappiness, lead us to a lot of, uh, of, of 
discouragement and, and, and we, we lack the joy that life should be about. And if you come with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, it's the, right there in your notes. We're going to visit verse 1. We'll find some of the answers to these questions of why we don't understand oftentimes what happens. This is the story of Christmas. Last week, we, we visited with the, with the shepherds. And we discovered with the message of the, with the shepherds that they were not worthy. They were not uh, identified by society as people who, who were worthy of being there in the presence of Jesus. But they did not get to the, to, the, to the ceremony of the birth of Jesus because they were worthy. They got there because they were loved. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking. Asking. This man had a question. But let's go back a little bit to identify who these men were. The Bible tells us that in some versions these men were magi. Now let me tell you that this word magi has nothing to do with magic. In fact, it's an old term to, to, to identify people who were magistrates, people in authority, people who were capable of making decisions. So, so this term magi has nothing to do with, 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 with magic or poisons or anything like that, as some people believe. Now, a tradition as it trickled down in history, Tertullian gave him not only a, a number but also a name. Tertullian was the first one to say that there were three of them. And, and the logic of the story tells us that, yeah, it was possible that there were three of them. Except that to travel from that far distance all the way to Judea, they needed transportation. They needed help. They needed tents, they needed food, they needed supplies to make the trek. And for that, they required more than three people. And Tertullian gave them names. According to tradition, there's Melchor, Balthazar. Remember the other name? Gaspar. These are very famous in Hispanic culture. Because the tradition is a Catholic tradition. We, the Bible does not tell us their names. But the Bible tells us something very, very interesting. That these people were observers of the skies. Some historians believe that these men were astrologists. And there's some argument about that because some others say that they were astronomists. But whatever their profession was... They enjoy, they practice the observance of the skies, like some of you last night. I saw a lot of pictures on, uh, on Facebook and Instagram about the signs in the skies. You know what I'm talking about? And it was funny. Some people were clueless of what was going on. And, and is this the Koreans? Is this the, 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 the rapture? Is this a, a, a weapon? What is this? Because again, 
when we don't know what is happening, when we don't understand what is going on, we don't have the joy of the truth. We don't experience life as it's supposed to. So this man, this man, were looking for the answers. Notice that when they came, they had a question. They arrived at Jerusalem doing what? Asking. Asking. Now, but this man had two problems. Two inherited problems. One, they were Gentiles. They were not Jews. And second, they were observers of the skies, of the stars. If they were astrologists, the Torah would accuse them as people who were not in the paths of the truth. So they come and they would teach us a lesson. And the first lesson they would teach us is the same lesson that the shepherds learn from the message that were given by the angels. And that is that the good news, the gospel, is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Last week, uh, as we said, we, we learned from the shepherds that the gospel was for everyone. But notice what, what Matthew 2 says. Verse 2, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Understand this. They came to worship him. Two things happen when we encounter God. We flee or we worship. And we flee because we fear. This man, as they were observing the stars, they were not only observing the stars, they were also reading the scriptures. They came in contact with the Word of God. And as they came in contact with the Word of God, they tried to find the answers. And somehow, they came to the writings of the prophet Malachi, uh, I'm sorry, Micah, uh, pointing to the birth of Jesus. So they came to the place that they thought it was the most logical place. To the palace of the king, of the king of the Jews. Now, they were looking at a star. But see, th there's something that we need to understand about this. The star that they saw was not visible to everyone. It was not. And let me explain why it wasn't visible for everyone. The book Desire of Ages says, in page 60, par paragraph 1, that star was a distant company of shining angels. But of this, the wise men were ignorant. Yet, they were impressed that the star was a special import to them. So what was the star? Angels. You remember the moment when Balaam goes on his donkey. Who stopped the donkey? The angel. Could Balaam see him? No. But the angel had a mission. You remember the story when, when, when Paul is riding to Damascus. And he falls to the ground. He is not going alone. There's men with him. Other men with Paul. 
Can this man see what is going on? No. Who's the only one who can see it? Paul. See, quite interesting. Apparently, apparently, the one who is not seeking for God, God is not evident. These angels were there to point the way, the path to this wise man, to this magi, but not everybody could see it. So evident that nobody could, not, not everybody could see it that Herod and his wise men couldn't see it. Now, but this man came from eastern lands. Some, some biblical scholars believe that these eastern lands were what we know today as Iraq or Iran. Now, crazy thing about this. Because see, we think today, because of uh, socio-political developments, that the people in those lands had nothing to do with the God of Israel. But let's remember something. That Abraham came from Babylon. He came from the city of Ur. Ur was a major city in Babylon. That is Iraq today. And Abraham is the father of the Jews. Abraham was a God-fearing man. Because Jesus is for everyone, there is no political boundaries. There are no borders. There are no divisions. There's no separation could be great enough to separate people from Jesus. Whatever man, whatever woman is searching for God, God will be there. And God will show the way for that individual, that seeking individual, to find his or her way to God. Because Jesus is, help me out, for everyone. The second truth that we learn about this story, family, is that Jesus guides the searching. Verse 3 says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Let's go back a little. This is the king of the Jews. This is the man with all the researches available, the experts on the topic of the Messiah because every Jew was waiting for who? For the Messiah. It is said that every young woman in the culture of Israel was expecting to be the mother of the Messiah. So it wasn't a secret. It wasn't, it wasn't something that it was a message, a, 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 a belief that was hidden. It was something obvious, something that was preached about. In fact, Today, there's a still expectation of the Messiah. So it wasn't a secret. But Herod didn't understand. Not even the simple thing of where the Messiah was going to be born. Now Herod, this Herod, was Herod known as Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was known by one thing, well, by many things, but one of his main things was that he was a great builder. Whatever Herod was, he built something big, something great. He built the temple in Jerusalem because he wanted to be known 
as a great builder. Herod thought that even if he would die, his buildings will remain. This right here is some of the remains of the city of Caesarea Maritima. This was a small town in Galilee facing the side of the Mediterranean Sea. The issue with Judea was that there was not a main port, a place where big ships coming from, from Rome or from other parts of the world can come to Judea. Now, you understand economics and you know the more people come to your town, the more money that comes. Herod knew that. So he understood that the best thing to do was to build a city with a port. So he built a port for deep, uh, what is called a deep sea port for big ships to come to visit. Now, this is what, is what remains of the port of Caesarea. And one of the things that, that Herod understood is that to make a city that was attractive, that made sense for the people to visit, needed to have, it needed to have some elements. And you can see the first of those elements right there. You know what this is? It's a, no, it's not a street. It's the arena. It's the place where, where, where we would call now the track. It's where horses ran, but not just horses, chariots. If you've seen the movie Ben-Hur, that, that kind of races, those kind of races, that is exactly the kind of building that Herod built for people to come and to enjoy themselves. Now, something quite interesting that, that, that I shared the other day when we talked about this in, 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 a, in the afternoon, it, it's really interesting. You see how the track, it, it's pretty narrow. It's not round. If you're ever uh, driven by Santa Anita uh, track, you see that it's pretty wide. There's a big loop on the track. It's, it's wide. It's, it's almost round. But this track is very narrow, very narrow. These turns, they were so sharp, and, and they had a name in Latin, and the name was... Spina, spina, means the thorn because they were so sharp. But, but think about this. Spina, it's where we get the word in English to spin, to take a turn. Cannot, ah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, so, so here build this city, but also he built the temple in Jerusalem. And the reason why we know about Herod being the builder is because every one of his buildings had this shape. Every rock that was used to build th the buildings that he built had this rectangular shape engraved on the rocks. And the way they were transported was by this rectangular cavities on the rocks where they used uh, to, to put wood through them and they would carry them. Now, this is about 50 feet below the Wailing Wall in the city of Jerusalem. So we know that that was very, very, very ancient. And that is from the time of Herod the Great. Herod was known for that. But also Herod was a very, very insecure man. He was the type of man that for everything that happened, there was a conspiracy theory. 
he suffered, he suffered of delirium of persecution. He thought that everyone and everything was against him. If back then they had invented the, the hand sanitizer, he would carry one of those little ones in his hands. He was so insecure about his throne that he even thought that his kids wanted to kill him to get a throne. In, 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 in 7 BC, he, he killed his first, the first of his son, Aristobulus, and then Antipater, he killed him three years later. I guess with those names, right? Uh, he had ten wives. Ten wives. Not all at once. But they last very, very short terms because he didn't trust them. In fact, one of them he killed accused of treason. Because he didn't trust him. Caesar Augustus in Rome heard about Herod's uh, antics. And he said this. It is better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. Because even if you were his family, you were not safe. So in verse 5, Matthew 2, we find Herod. And when he asks his people, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Verse 5 gives us the answer. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Remember, who are we talking about here? Good, somebody's awake. Jesus, Jesus, right? It's Christmas, people. Hint. Now, now, we're talking about Jesus, but the one that is listening to what these wise men are telling is Herod. If you are Herod, not that you know Herod, let's read it again. Verse 6. O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you. A what? Herod says. A ruler? Who will be the shepherd of my people Israel? Wait a minute. I am the king. What are you saying? Verse 7. This is his reaction. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. Now you know when the king calls you to a private meeting... You're in trouble. And he learned from them the time when the star fears first appeared. Now, he learned when the star first appeared. That does not mean that Jesus was born on the day. Let me explain it like this. Last week we learned about the shepherd's experience. Remember? That day when the shepherds got the message from the angels... Jesus, that was the day of the birth of Jesus. And we remember one thing. We learned one thing, that we don't celebrate the date, December 25th. We celebrate the what? The event, the birth of Jesus. That is what matters. The date doesn't really matter because, you know, the reality is that nobody traveled in the winter. And Israel's weather is just like ours. 
there's the snow and cold weather and harsh difficulties because of the, the rain and the snow and all those things. So nobody traveled, especially in those days, with the difficulty of traveling during the winter. Now, some people have said it happened in the spring. Well, it's difficult for the spring to have happened because it is the time of, of the Passover. And everybody traveled on the Passover. So, so for the census to occur on the time when everybody went to Jerusalem, it would have been very difficult for people to go to the land of their parents, of their ancestors for the census. So it must have been in the fall. So it is in the fall, most likely the time when Jesus was born. So the shepherds are with their flocks outside when the angels came and told them the message and they went to the manger where Jesus was. That was the day of the birth of Jesus. But now this man, look at the star. The star was what? Angels. Good. You, you are getting awake. I like that. Now, so they saw the angels pointing the way to where Jesus was born and from the land where they were in Iraq or Iran, the trek To Galilee took him about two years. So if so you understand something now that they didn't get there to see baby Jesus newly born. Jesus had already been born about two years earlier. And this all make, will make sense in a second. Verse 8, then he told them, this is Herod speaking to the wise men, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And I'm sure he was presenting his nicest image. And when you find him, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Verse 9, after, after the interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Did it guide Herod? No. You know why? Because Herod was not searching. The people who were searching were the magi. And see, God is constantly giving us clues of the path that we are to follow. God is constantly giving us guidance in our most difficult choices in life. God is ready to show us the way. It's not a cliche. The problem is that we're not constantly searching for Him. So we miss those guidings. We miss the clues. We miss the opportunity to follow the path that God has set before us. Continue verse 9. And after the interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. Notice that it doesn't say the baby anymore. Now, it is horrible to get lost, to be lost. Well, somebody tells you get lost, yeah, it's horrible too. But, but to be lost is horrible. Nobody goes on the car and says, well, today I'm going to drive to lose my way, to get lost. Nobody says that. 
Nobody says that. And usually when we travel, we know where we're going. Right? Especially when we go to a, to a different land, to a different country. A few years back, I traveled with Paola, with, with my wife, to Italy. And uh, we went to, 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 to places that we had specifically planned. We knew what train, what flight, what, what, uh, what museum, what to do. Everything was perfectly planned. Once we were there, Paola tells me, you know, we are here. We are so close. Let's go visit my family. And I say, yeah, let's go. Where do they live? What's the address? She's like, well, I don't know. I was here when I was nine. I know the house if I see it. Well, let's go. I'm a pathfinder. I can find my way. So we took the, the train to a from Rome to a town called Vicenza. Vicenza is about two and a half hours south of Switzerland, right between Milano and Venezia. So we went, took the bus from Milan to Vicenza. I mean, from Rome to Milan. And then from Milan to Vicenza, we took the bus. A bus that we'd never taken before. We didn't know where the stop was going to be the correct one. But we got on the bus. And with her Italian and mine, we got to Vicenza. So we stopped at Vicenza, and we had one clue. One clue. The street was Bebelacqua. Drink the water. That was the name of the street. Bebelacqua. So we got to the place, and we asked the first person who came around, do you know where street Bebelacqua is? And he just said, that way. So there we go, carrying our luggage. And this town, it's a town and the foothills. So everything is like this. And we're lugging, rolling our luggages to Bebelacqua Street. And uh, another person went by and... Uh, and we asked her, how close are we from Bevelacqua? And she, she asked, who are you looking for? And Paola said, la mia familia. Bisona. And this lady smiled and said, oh, they live right there. So we went to the house. Paula looked at the house and said, yeah, this is the house. So we knocked, and somebody came out and looked at us weird with luggage and stuff. And uh, probably thought we were going to sell something. And, and, and Paula said, you know, I'm Paula, Flaviano's daughter. And now there's joy. Now there's happiness. Because they knew the name. They knew her name. They had no idea who I was. But we got in the house. 
And they invited us to have dinner. And you have no idea how good homemade Italian food is. We're sitting at the table, and la tia Gabriela, the, 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 she is the matriarch of the family, she was sitting in front of us. Better said, in front of me. And while I'm eating there, stuff, cheese, stuff that we don't eat anymore because we're, we're vegan. Um, um, so I, I'm, eating, I'm eating stuff right there, and she looks at me, and, and she says, Rogelio, qual è tuo cognome? What's your last name? And I'm like, uh, Pacchini. And she stands up and says, Pomodori, Pacchini, Pomodori. And I'm asking myself, what is she calling me? Tomatoes. Why is she calling me tomatoes? So I asked, what, what's going on? I knew she was old, but calling me tomatoes? Um, come on, right? And the other aunt says, you know, in Sicily, there is a farm. And this farm is known by their gourmet tomatoes. And the name of the farm is Pacchini. So when you said Pacchini, she thought you were an heir of the farm. Pomodori for life. But we got there. We got to see things that we enjoyed. Paola saw the room where her father grew up. And it was priceless. Because we found our way. But it's very difficult when you don't know where you're going. Much less how to get there. But life, as it gets tough, the one that is constant is the promise that I, Jesus said, will be with you every day until the end. In Numbers 24, 17 says, I see him, but not here now. I perceive him, but far in the distance, in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. That was the promise. That these wise men were searching for. Who was going to be this child that was born to be the king of the Jews. Because they were searching for the king. The king guided them to the right place. The truth that I want to share with you as number three. Is that Jesus rewards the patient. Jesus rewards the patience. How many years did they wait for this? Two years. Two years. Matthew 2.10 says, when they saw the star, they were filled with sadness. No, it says they were filled with joy. With joy, they saw the star. Can you imagine trekking for two years in the desert, winters, rains, sand? Finally, they get there. Now the angels are not moving anymore. They parked right on the place where Jesus was. Remember, this is not the manger anymore. Verse 11. They enter the house. Are you with me? There's not the manger anymore. Jesus is not a baby anymore. He's a toddler. He's in the terrible twos. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
these gifts were not random. They were planned. They were planned. This man prepared them from their land two years before for that moment, for that special moment when they would be in front of the king. And each, each gift has meaning for us as he had for them. The first gift was what? Gold. Gold, gold is the gift that was given to kings. So there in the parenthesis in your notes, you can write king. What a, get a better gift than gold for a king. That means that for the king, I'll give him the most precious thing that I have. So this begs the question. When you are before the king, what is the most precious thing that you can give him? What is the thing that you spend the most time on? What is the thing that crosses your mind the most? The most precious thing for you is the best thing that you can give the king. Tradition says that this gold that was given to Jesus and Mary, and people ask, where, where was Joseph? Most likely working. He was not in the house. But this gold that was given to Mary and Jesus, Herod asked for all the ch ch children, all the boys, how old and younger? Two years. Why two? Because Jesus was already two. Two years and younger to be killed because of his maniac behavior. He didn't want another king to live at the same time as he was living. So he wanted to kill him. So Mary and, and, and Joseph and Jesus went to Egypt. It is believed that the gold that they received from the Magi was the money that financed the stay in Egypt. The second gift was frankincense. And frankincense was used by priests. It was used in the incense that was burning in the holy place. You remember that in the Old Testament, when, when Moses built the sanctuary, the priest will come into the, into the holy place with blood from the animal that had been sacrificed, dipped his fingers in the blood, and sprinkled it on the veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place. I don't know if you've ever been at a butcher shop. I worked at one one summer. I would come back home smelling like blood. I would take showers and come out smelling like blood. Blood that is dried and old has a stench that is very difficult to get rid of. Can you imagine the stench of the blood that represented the blood of Jesus? Sprinkle every day in the morning and in the afternoon on that veil for a whole year in the hot 
Palestinian desert, the incense masks the odor exuding from the blood. Incense was the priestly element that covered the stench. But at the same time, incense was an element of worship. So much that when we read Revelation chapter 5, it says that the incense represents the prayers of the saints. So incense represents to us and to the wise men my most and deepest honest worship. Jesus is the priest, not just the king, but he's also a priest, a priest that covers my faults. It, and he covers my faults by his grace. Just like the incense masks the odor, his grace covers my sins. Not because I'm perfect, the stench is still there, but because his grace is perfect. And that only happens when I accept that he is the perfect one, not me. The third gift was what? Myrrh. And myrrh was a, a spice that was used at funerals. It was used to embalm the bodies or those who had been dead. Remember, the Jews' uh, cemeteries were very different than, than ours. Today we have a difficult time identifying, making a difference between a golf course and a cemetery. They're both green and beautiful. But in, 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 the, in the Bible times, Cemeteries were the, the graves, the, the tombs were basically caves that were and, on the rocks, on the cliffs, and they deposited the bodies. And the rocks that covered them were not, were not sealed, were not perfectly covering the holes. The stains were, would still come out of the tomb. Remember when Jesus was in front of Lazarus' tomb, the, the problem with Mary, when Jesus said, move the stone, he said, but Jesus, he's been dead for three days. Smells already, remember that? Well, to avoid the smell from floating around near the tomb, the people would, would, would take spices to cover the bodies and to help the process of decomposition with as less smell as possible. When we read the story of the crucifixion, when Jesus was placed in the tomb on that Friday afternoon, the women waited, waited until the first light on Sunday morning, on the first day of the week, to go to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus because they didn't have time to do it on the Friday. Myrrh was used for the sacrifice. So when we talk about Jesus and the gift that this magi gave him, it's because I accept that Jesus gave his life for me. Now I'm giving my life. For him. Jesus carried all of our faults by his sacrifice. And as he died for me, today as I give him my gift, I say, I want to live for you. Jesus was his name. And the reason why Jesus was given as a name by the angel to Mary was 
One reason, the angel said, because he will save the world. And the last truth that I want to share with you this morning is that Jesus protects, Jesus protects the sincere heart. Verse 12 says, when it was time to leave, they returned their own country to their own country by another way. Remember Herod? Guys, when you find them, come and tell me so I can go and worship. They said, ah, uh ah, -uh. we're going another way. They didn't go back and see Herod. God warned them in a dream, it says right there on verse 12, not to return to Herod. Why? Because Jesus protects the sincere heart. The story of Christmas, from the perspective of the Magi, tells us that when we are in constant search of God, the inevitable, inevitable result is that we will find Him. A long time ago it is said that this man was walking on a, on a path, on a road. And as it got dark, he fell. He fell into a well. And he's there calling for help. Calling for help. And as he's calling for help, people are walking by, but they're not paying attention to him. They really don't care about this man being down there. Until finally, Confucius, the Chinese philosopher, walked by. And Confucius said, if you had listened to me, you would not have fallen into that hole. This man kept on crying out, help, help, help. Then the story tells us that Buddha walked by. And Buddha told this man, see, if you get out, I'll help you. So this man remained in the hole. I continued to cry. Cry out for help. Help, help, somebody help me. After a while, Jesus walked by the hole. And when Jesus saw this man, he didn't say anything. He went in the hole and helped the man out. Jesus is the only God who being king decided to become a man. Imperfect man. So imperfect man could become king. That, that family is the story of Christmas. That the one who didn't have to, did it. So that those who want to can be saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful because we can celebrate the birth of a God, of a God who did not 
take his credentials as the king of the universe as a symbol of a status on earth. In fact, took the lowest position ever, the one of a defenseless baby to show us how powerful love can be. And today, we celebrate that gift of love that we receive through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our prayer that those of us who haven't yet searched for Jesus, that today we may find Him. And those who one day decided to follow Jesus, to accept Him as our King, but we lost our way a little. That as we look up today, may we see your guidance taking us back on the right path. And we pray that soon, the next time that we look up, we don't see a group of angels. But we see all the angels. And we see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. But this time, not to become a baby, but to assure his place as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May our reaction to that event be to worship the only one who is worthy of all worship. May Jesus be born in our heart today. In his name we pray. Amen.